Good morning, and I'd like to offer my personal words of congratulations to all of our graduates and their families. This is an enormous accomplishment, and we give God great praise and thanks for all of you and for his sustaining goodness and faithfulness. It's a milestone, uh, at the very least, um, and it's a wide-open gate, and um, we're thankful. And um, this in no way ends our commitment to stand alongside of you and to journey with you in prayer. Our commitment remains firm and unswerving. I want you to know that. So if the Lord flings you far and wide from this place, please remain in touch, um, but be confident in our great affection for you and our commitment to stand with you. If you're going to remain close in whatever the Lord has you to do, please continue to be a part of First Baptist North if you are able and can be. We'd love to have you here, and um, we have many openings for ministry. We'd love to have you be a part, but... Um, we give God praise and we say to God be the glory for all of you. If you have a Bible this morning, and I hope that you do, or something that reflects the scriptures, please turn to Mark chapter 9. We also have copies of the scripture close to you. They are kind of bluish, paperback, and that is for you to use this morning. Take with you if you'd like. We always want you to have um, ready access to the Word of God, certainly during our times together. Um, but most especially as you go home. But for this morning, I'd like us to go to Mark chapter 9. We're going to go back and look at a story in the Gospel of Mark um, this morning. It's actually not a parable. We've been focused somewhat on the parables and on Jesus' particular teaching about the Christian life and on prayer. This story feels like a parable, but it's not. It actually happened. That is to say, it's historical. Um, This is a story about a life and death encounter with Jesus Christ. And in it we find both a lesson on prayer and on faith. Two questions that I receive more often than probably any other question. The first being, how can I see or experience more answer to prayer? I think I told you about that a few weeks ago. I got a marvelous email from someone in our congregation asking that very question. I love that question. I appreciate it. I can relate to it. That's the question number one. The second question is, how can I increase my faith? Um, the short answer, and since Paul is with us this morning and we'll be talking a little bit later, is if you want to see more answer to prayer and increase your faith, go on a short-term mission trip. Okay, both will be accomplished, right? Um, God will drive you to your knees as you entrust to him that time. He'll also increase your faith as he takes you out of your comfort zone and provides for you exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or imagine. That's the short answer. The long answer, you have to stay with me for the remainder of the sermon, okay? So sorry about that. But listen, this is a great story. We all sense to a degree, it seems, that there is much more to our experience with God, our relationship with Him. Somehow that we could kind of go to another level. This this story in so many ways is a compelling example of how that happened, at least in the lives of uh, a life of one family. The setting in Mark chapter 9 is Jesus is in the middle of a very public ministry season. 
Significant crowds were now being drawn to him by his miracles and his very presence in that area. It has also incited the inevitable jealousy and anger that comes from religious leaders, the the self-righteous, who are so easily threatened by anything or anyone that conflicts with their brand of religion based on rules and exteriors. Same old song and dance response to genuine faith. Now I want to read this story and I I want us to kind of find ourselves in this story but also get a a path for experiencing kind of greater um, effectiveness in our prayer but also opportunities to increase our faith. Mark chapter 9 starting with verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, that is to say the disciples that had gone with Jesus up to the mountain, this is just following the transfiguration, they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Now I don't know what you would do, armed with the truths of Scripture, with the opportunity of the Gospel, and what is presented before you is a a large captive audience of people. What an opportunity. And so these disciples have just come back from a high point with Jesus. They've come to the remaining disciples, and around them are the teachers of the law, and a large crowd of listeners And what they find is that they're all stirred up in a religious argument. (laughs) Nice. How about that? Can you imagine? What a great opportunity. And here they are uh, arguing about a particular situation. Now watch the contrasting response of the people when Jesus enters the scene. Mark tells us that as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. Isn't that great? Now this was real. Look at the spontaneity. They were overwhelmed with a sense of expectancy and wonder and they ran to greet Jesus. By the way, this was not in church. The scene was not the synagogue. This was not kind of safely ensconced in the portals of the established kind of religious experience. This was outside the walls. That's the context for this great story. Most genuine encounters, life-changing encounters with Jesus, at least in the New Testament, when people were saved and healed and delivered and confronted and comforted, happened outside the walls of the religious establishment. Because that's where people lived. That's where people hurt. That's where people rubbed up against the, the raw inevitabilities of life. And that's where Jesus went. And that's the context of the story. That's where the deepest of human need is found. Let's kind of watch how this unfolds. Jesus, with the remaining disciples, comes and he's he's met by this overwhelming kind of wonder-filled crowd of people. And, And he asks a question in verse 16. Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about? Of course he knew. And a man in the crowd 
Now, imagine this story is going to show some of the rawest and deepest of human need. And here's a man with this need, and he's in this crowd who's experiencing this stirring and this argument of religious debate. And Jesus asks the question, what, what are you arguing with them about? It happens to be that they're arguing about him and his particular need. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Now this is his story. This is his life. I have a son who is deeply afflicted. He's possessed by a spirit and he can't talk. Whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He begins foaming at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. What could they possibly be arguing about in the face of such need? I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. Wow, what a story. This man had brought his son, this this enormous need, to to this group of, of religious individuals. And they started arguing about the scenario. Now, Jesus' response is where we really want to go. Nineteen, he gives an indictment. You unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? You unbelieving generation. They thought they were the genuine item. In fact, the father of the son thought they were the genuine item. That's why he first brought his son to them. They really believed themselves to be the generation that would usher in God's kingdom. They were waiting for the inauguration of God's kingdom. But yet they were powerless, says Jesus. Oh, you're a religious generation. You're, You're a pious generation. You're a busy generation. You are the most faithful looking generation, but you are an unbelieving generation. And I'm not sure how much longer I can put up with this, says Jesus. This is his response. Now, how did Jesus know they were unbelieving? It was because of their response to this genuine human need. This father brought his son to this group of people. He thought they were the real item. And instead of meeting the need and responding like Jesus is about to respond, they started to argue. They incited a debate. You see, that's the problem with religion. It never meets human need. Never. Never. It's a veneer of righteousness, but it is not true righteousness. It keeps lost people lost and afflicted people afflicted. 
That's religion. Now what happens next, by the way, is the beginning of the path to a greater effectiveness in your prayer and a deeper increase of your faith. Jesus said, bring the boy to me. Bring him to me. What's really sad is the father really thought he was bringing the boy to him when he brought him to this first group. Bring him to me. And by the way, you can see how much Jesus cares about this kind of silly argument over religion. He doesn't even address it. He goes right to the boy's need and to the the press of this heartbroken father. And what we see is a genuine impulse of pure compassion for someone who needs to be brought to Jesus. I wonder, when was the last time you had an impulse of pure compassion for someone who needs to be brought to Jesus. We need to wrestle with that question. Our families need to wrestle with that question. This ministry needs to wrestle with that question because it's at the crux of this story. And what unfolds will really just be a simple, not altogether inspiring path to a greater experience of God not only in our prayer, but also in our faith. Bring, bring the boy to me. Now the first thing that I want you to understand, whatever you're praying about, whatever you're asking God to accomplish for you, you need first and foremost to be willing to do anything Jesus says. Anything. They brought him. Verse 20, the scripture says. So they brought him. We need to be willing to do anything Jesus says as we come to him in prayer, in expectation. This is not a time for negotiation. This is not a time for you to pull out your resume or your already established plans. This is a time to simply go before him and be willing and resolved to do whatever Jesus says. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And so they brought him to Jesus. Most people, sadly, many Christians experience powerlessness in their faith because they are not yet to a point where they are willing to offer full obedience and do whatever Jesus says in the face of the need. Whatever the circumstance might be. You will never experience God's full unleashing of His power on behalf of your broken marriage until you at first are willing to do whatever Jesus says to you about your marriage. Or your family. Or your future. Or your past. Or whatever it is you're entrusting to Him. Second... 
be prepared for a supernatural encounter. They brought him to Jesus, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. All of a sudden, he is in the realm of something that is so vastly beyond anything he could possibly have imagined. Now in the face of Jesus, everything becomes clear. This is an enormously spiritual issue. There are so many uh, deep and dark forces at work That there will be nothing less than a supernatural encounter. Listen, we insist for whatever reason on living in the natural realm. We love our plans. We, we, we love what makes us feel comfortable and secure and affirmed. We love feeling like we, we're adding to the equation. We're, we're doing our part. That is the natural experience and it gives very little, if any, room for the supernatural reflection and understanding. Everything changes when Jesus is given opportunity to get involved. Days before, this man is finding only frustration and disappointment because he has brought his need to men, faithless men who know only their empty tradition and their already established prejudices. Now he's in the presence of the living Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he is talking to him, and everything changes. And the din of all the religious critics is suddenly cut off. It goes silent. And now it's Jesus and this man, this broken, defeated, and desperate father. And the father is before him. And look what Jesus says. How long has he been like this? that's a compassionate question how long has he been suffering like this I guarantee what he was getting from this group over here was well what's going on in your life to cause this what do you got going on in your home what are you doing that's bringing this kind of judgment how do we know that this was their line this was their pattern Remember before they had this, this argument about, uh, about the, blind, the blind man. Well, who sinned, Jesus? This man or his parents? There has to be a reason for this affliction. <laughs> that was their line. That's what he was getting from this group. From Jesus, he gets a tender, compassionate question. How long? How long has he been like this? This answer... From childhood. Since he was a boy. I've never known my son not to have this affliction. Can you imagine? It, uh, it often throws him into the fire or, or, or it tries to drown him in the water to kill him, but, it, but it's, it's been horrible. This is neat. This is, this is humanity. This is where people are. This is the experience of people without God. 
And religion just wants to stand over here and, and argue about rules and tradition and regulations and scenarios and all of this other nonsense. And the man says, if, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Wow, how's that for a prayer? Now this man's praying. Aren't you glad they, they brought him to Jesus? If you can, said Jesus. Jesus is not indignant. He's not offended. I, I think he's just, he's amused. If you, if you can, do you realize who you're talking to? Everything is possible for the one who believes. Now imagine when this father heard this, all of his life, all of his son's afflicted life, what he'd been hearing from this group is, Man, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you can't do this, and you got to do more of this, and you can't wear this, and you can't look like this, and you can't go here, and you can't go there, and you can't do this, and you got to come here over and over and over and do this. And Jesus said, If I can, everything is possible if you believe. Man, aren't you glad? They brought him to Jesus and not to church. <laughs> what a prayer. Take pity on us and help us. Now, the third thing to begin to experience just real power in your prayer life and increase your faith is be ready to surrender full control to the authority of Jesus. Watch this story. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I believe. Help me. Help me in my unbelief. Now he's praying. Write that down. Use that the next time you're on your knees praying about, you know, whatever, that it doesn't rain at your party. I just, just, just start praying like that. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, watch this, he rebuked the impure spirit. These guys were arguing about it. Well, Jesus, the authority of his name, rebukes the unclean spirit. And he says, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that our battle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. That's what it looks like to us. It's all about the exterior. It's all about the veneer. It's all about appearances. We think our battle is with people, with things that we see. God says, no, our battle is against things that are unseen. Deep, dark, powerful, penetrating, formidable forces that you have no idea the desire and the extent to which they are, want to take you off the planet. That's why we need the full armor of God in the authority of Jesus' name, power over the darkness. You see, it's authority that we need in our lives. It's authority, the authority of Christ that we surrender to to bring back uh, a wayward child or someone who is afflicted with these issues. It's the authority of Christ that we need in our marriages and in our homes. 
Jesus commands authority in this situation. Come out of him and never enter him again. (laughs) Wow. How about that? The spirit shrieked, convulsed, violently, and then came out. It was over. It was over. This man was ready to just do whatever Jesus said. Bring him to me. He brought him to him. Brought himself into a supernatural experience. It was a war between the power of Christ and the power of darkness. What a reality. And he just... Let Jesus take command. And it was over. Mark says, the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Now these guys were the authority on people who looked dead. (laughs) Yeah, looks dead to me. Jesus just bent over and Mark says, took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Can you imagine this father? Aren't you glad they brought him to Jesus? Now, this story ends a little humorously, it seems. Verse 28. Look at this. After Jesus had gone indoors probably a home. His disciples gathered around him and asked him privately. I love this. Man, why can't we do that? Why couldn't we do that? Don't you wonder that sometimes? I do. Why don't we see more miracles? Why don't we see believers' faith increasing more? Why can't we do that? Well, Jesus is going to answer it here in a moment, but I'm just wondering if part of it is because we just, we love being over here. Let's argue about it. Let's, Let's debate it. Let me tell you what I think. Let me assess this. And Jesus said, well, this kind can come out only by prayer. Only by prayer. But not just any prayer. This kind of prayer kind of prayer that is willing and ready to do whatever Jesus said. Lord, my future, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have a foggiest idea what I'm going to do with my life. This 
kind can only come out in prayer. This kind of prayer where you come before the Lord and you lay everything down and you're willing to do whatever He says. Some of you are still here because you have not been willing to do what He says. He's called you by name. He wants you on the mission field. You're still here because you can't let go. You're not willing, you're not ready yet to do whatever Jesus says. Whatever He says. And you understand that your life is lived now that you are in Christ in the supernatural realm, not in the natural realm. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly, says Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Where Christ is, that is our reality. We have a supernatural reality now. We trust in things that are above us, that we cannot see. We do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. It is a supernatural experience and we trust only and fully in the power and provision of God. And we accept willingly and humbly His authority. He is the sovereign ruler of my marriage, of my business, of my finances, of my future, of my family, of my children. We trust in His name. He takes command. It comes out in that kind of prayer. Now, just fast forward quickly, if you would, to Acts chapter 3. You can go there if you want. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3. By the way, we're going to be starting a new series on the church alive, studying the book of Acts, starting in the fall. So, <clears throat> please come back in the fall. You're going to love it. One day, Acts chapter 3, listen to this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. So they're going to church for the time of prayer. It was on the schedule at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth, does that sound familiar? That ought, to, that ought to sound like our story. Here is a man who was lame from birth and he was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. So here's a temple and they built a gate and someone had a great idea. Let's call it the beautiful gate. Because, I mean, it, it ought to be beautiful if it's, at the, if it's at the entrance to the temple, right? It ought to be beautiful. It, that's the beautiful gate. <laughs> it's all about exteriors. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Let's take this beggar and let's put him by the beautiful gate. But the scripture says that he'd been there day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, laid helplessly at the beautiful gate. And guess what? He's still there. He can't move. He can't walk. He can't dance. He can't do anything at the beautiful gate. By the way, it's outside the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter... These guys were back in Mark 9, remember? And they were probably amongst the group that said to Jesus, man, why can't we do that? He asked them for money. As he had obviously done every day. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, watch this. 
Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name, there's the authority, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And just like Jesus, he, he, he bent down, taking him up by the right hand. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts. You see, we don't like, we don't like people to come in that, that, that don't fit in. That's why we like them outside. Because it's, it's better for them, you know. It's better for them to be on the outside. But now he's coming into the temple. He's been healed. He's been transformed by the power of Jesus. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Just like that crowd at Mark chapter 9. And what had happened to him? I imagine. Listen, folks, when are we going to wake up? And stop all this nonsense, this silliness of religion. And bring people to Jesus. And do whatever it takes to get them to him. Because that's what changes everything. It changes everything. People's lives are transformed. Uh, They're healed. They're delivered. Your faith, the, the faith of your children is increased when they see clearly before them the unmistakable power of God, a demonstration of His power. They grow when we trust Him. And your life and the miracle is a witness to the world that there is no power in religion, but there is wondrous, life changing power in the name of Christ. Wow, what are you praying about today? What are you trusting God to do for you today? Are you willing to do whatever Jesus says? Are you willing to do whatever he says? If he says to let go of that, are you willing to let go of that? If if he says he wants you to pack up and go, are you willing to pack up and go? Are you willing? What are you praying about? Are you willing to to stop doing what you're doing if he says, stop that, let me do this, Let, let me provide? Do you live your life in the supernatural realm? Or are you so insistent on on just exhausting all of your human resources and then maybe, maybe God will come along and, 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 and fill in the gap and provide for your need? Or are you like this father ready to just fall on your face before him and say, Lord, just help us do this because we want to come out on the other side and we want as a family to say, wow, wow, look what he did. And does he have command over your life? Does Jesus have command over your thoughts and your words? Is he in charge of your home? 
Does he have command over the way you spend your time and invest your gifts and your talents? And you're ready to pray, you see. Because we can't come to prayer and not expect God to do something magnificently big. What a great day to be here. So happy for our families and their graduates. That's no, that's no small thing. It's awesome. Kids, don't forget what your parents have done to get you to this place. It's a good thing. It's huge. At least get them a t-shirt or something. greatest thing you can do from this day forward hear me entrust your life to him Bow humbly before him. And like this father, say, help us. Help me. Stand down from this relentless desire to trust in yourself and put your faith in him. He is powerful. Everything is impossible if you believe. And then can we, as a body, as ministry leaders, as heads of homes and families, as a congregation, can we covenant together to do whatever it takes to remove all veneer all pretense, all trappings and distractions that would keep someone from coming to Christ. And then do everything possible in this ministry to bring them to Him. Can we make that covenant today? bow our heads this is the day of decision for you maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ we want to invite you to do that just come to him don't come to us don't come to this church don't come to this building come to the Savior come to Christ bow before him in brokenness and humility and ask him for mercy he will be faithful to you come to Jesus as a family What a great opportunity at the gate of this new beginning. Just come to Jesus. Come to him. Bow before him as a family and say, we want to do this your way. We want you to have authority from this day on.
and we trust you to help us. Whatever it is you're trusting him for and praying for, stand down from any more of these platitudes and these kind of self-help approaches to prayer. Lord, we'll do this if you do this. No, stand down from that and bring it all to him and let him demonstrate his power in Jesus' name. Come to Jesus today. We're going to sing. We want you to come in his name. Just stand and sing together.